Close and secure all possible entrances to your home. Switch off all lights. Do not look out of any windows. Do not respond to any knocks on your windows or doors until the all clear is given. Remain silent at all times. It's like, this news too cool for long sentences. He said the key words. He said, streaming live around the world, this is Paper Cuts. We call it a poop bag. With Brad and Jay. Yeah, it's got a new show. It came to you, like, basically straight from my brain. And we're not going to have those devil books in here. We are live. For as late as we were, man, your, your hair is looking pretty good there, Brad. Appreciate it. You like my, nice. my buzz cut? Look, yours is looking yeah. fancy, though, Jay. I like yours. Mine always is, buddy. We, we talk about? <laughs> always looking smooth, aren't you? Yeah, I, I do. It. I try to clean up for the show. Look, one of us has to. Come on. I mean, I like, I got a collar on today, so this is like super that is, fancy that is for true. us. I got fancy lighting to cover up the gray. <laughs> What's going on, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Paper Cuts. I'm Jay. That's Brad. Enough about us. We have a special guest tonight, <laughs> the writer of Criterium, Dark Side of the Room, and Almost Ruth. A few other things we're going to talk about, too. Uh, been a busy day for you today. Tyler Jones, everyone. Welcome to the show. Welcome to Paper Cuts. What's going on, Tyler? Awesome. Thank you guys for having me. I think you're the first person ever to wear a suit on our show, by the way. He's fancy. It's not a, it's not a suit, Jay. Well, it's, <laughs> it would be for me. That's Any <laughs> but, amount of clothing is fancy on. for Jay. You have, you have a tie. You have a tie. <laughs> I should wear a tie with a t-shirt. I, yeah. It's a, it's a waistcoat. There you, <laughs> okay. Technical term there, Jay. <laughs> Where's your tux, Brad? I thought you had to wear a tux. It's, it's it's down there, zipped up in a bag. You don't want me to put that on. No, we'll we'll wait. Go for it. Okay. All right. Hold on. Right. <laughs> we already had to wait, you know, for you to do your hair. So yeah, my six year old is wearing one tomorrow too, and he put it. We, we had to go get fitted yesterday. He put it on. He's like, oh, this is tight. He was about to Hulk out and just shred it. <laughs> go for it. He's, record it. Record it. He's like, I don't look like a gentleman. I look like a magician. <laughs> So what's going on, Tyler? What, what would you be normally doing if, if you weren't on the show with these two dumbasses here? <laughs> uh, right on, now, I'd be, I'd be hanging out with my wife and kids, and who knows? So more, what, part, more partying important with the stuff family somehow. Yeah, <laughs> well, more important stuff. More important stuff. They're taking a break from you. They're like, yeah, go ahead and go do that show. We'll take a break from you. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. So, uh, so big announcement for you today. Right, yeah. the, 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 yeah. release, the cover release of uh, the reveal. Well, tell us a little bit about that before we hop into everything else. Yeah, I've got a short story collection coming out next year, February 26th, the, uh, through Cemetery Gates. It's called Burn the Plans, and it's a collection of um, 15 stories total. And there's the cover. Look at that. Done by the very, very talented David Mack, whose work you might recognize. He's done work on uh, Neil Gaiman's American Gods. Right. Fight Club nice. 2 and 3, the graphic novels. Uh, he's done work on Daredevil. And he did the um, opening credits on Captain America, uh, Winter Sh- Soldier. Oh, that's cool. He's just a, nice. yeah, he's got a really unique, unique style. And he actually love, did love the, the uh, cover for Criterion. Yeah, I love the picture within picture there, like the within the actual handprint, the picture within that. That's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, there's a couple things going on there. So yeah, the, today was the official cover reveal slash release date for the book, which is exciting. It's coming up. Yeah, and I noticed uh, 
one of them had different color fonts. So it was one of them like the hardcover edition, one of the paperback or. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Um, yeah, with all the books that I just released in October, the Criterium and Dark Side of the Room extended editions, along with Enter Softly and Almost Ruth, all those hardcover editions have uh, variant covers. Yeah. I just thought it'd be a cool idea. You see it, you see it a lot in comics. You know, yeah. they'll release like a primary cover and then variants for collectors. And I just thought if I'm going to do it in hardcover, might as well make it something unique, worth having. Criterion is one of my favorite covers of last year. I, I do remember just going on and on about the the flaming bike. Um, I, I know it was an honor for you to have that book in one of my tops of the year, but that's a side, <laughs> really- that's a side note. But yeah, that cover was, was pretty nice. Um, why do the new extended versions? What was the, the whole plan ideal behind the extended versions of uh, Dark Side of the Room, Criterion, and of course you have the extra novella along with Almost Ruth. Yeah, the what's up, Brennan, LJ, Chad? Thank you guys for joining us. Uh, so the extended editions, uh, it started with the bonus novella to Criterium called Enter Softly. Um, when you write a novella, it's you're trying to tell a pretty concise story. It doesn't have the the scope of an. <laughs> I just saw Chad's comment. Chad. <laughs> I'm the butt of uh, all the it, jokes. That's okay. <laughs> I, that's all right. It it doesn't have the scope of a novel. You're trying to tell a pretty concise, right. straight story. And afterwards, I another idea popped into my head, and I thought I wanted I wanted to write it, it t- and it clearly took place in that world. And then I started thinking, well, if I released this, I don't know that it would have the same impact if I just released it on its own. It needs. It felt like it needed to be connected to Criterium in some way. And so I thought about re-releasing Criterium with this story attached. And then I had another idea for one connected to the dark side of the room and wrote that one and was really happy with how it turned out. So I thought, well, if I'm going to put these out, let's let's make a thing of it. And I um, I asked uh, Jeremy Robert Johnson if he'd be willing to write an introduction for Criterium, and he did, and it's phenomenal. Um, and then Philip Fricasi agreed to write one for the dark side of the room as well. And th- I didn't expect it to be the um, like emotional honor that it was to have those guys. Cause I, I respect their work enormously and to read what they wrote about something I'd written was just right. kind of overwhelming. Like I, I read over those intros more than once, just floored. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's an honor to have those included in the books. Um, so that's why I re-released them. I just thought it didn't seem right to re- release those novellas on their own without the the immediate connection to the original stories. Yeah, and I, then I need to read I, those intros because I I know I read a couple of the intros. I uh, I think it was for Criterion. I, I need to reread those because I'm, I'm supposed to do one eventually for someone. So I need to get an yeah. idea, a good idea of the proper way of doing it. So yeah, there's there's our incredible. Yeah, and then I wrote a, a bonus novella for for almost Ruth as well, called "Wake Up." And I just thought it'd be a shame to have those. I thought if if people already had Criterion of the Dark Side of the Room, mm-hmm. I would hate for them to feel like they had to repurchase those books just to get the new novellas. And so that's mm-hmm. why I put together um, uh, "Enter Softly" this little volume. It, and it's a strange little book because it has three novellas in it that are all connected to other books. Yeah. 
but so, so you, it's it's for those people like like you have the older version of Criterion, right. you know. So it's right. for someone mm -hmm. like you, you could buy this and get all those stories. And the cover on this was done by um, a friend of mine named like, Ryan Mills. I like that cover a lot. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's phenomenal. Yeah, really, really captures the tone and feel of it as well. So with those novellas, did you set out specifically to write them to be connected, or were you starting this other story and saying, "Oh, maybe this could be connected to these other ones"? The uh, the Criterion one, I knew right away that one was connected. Uh, uh -huh. And then the one for the Dark Side of the Room, it just it popped into my head fully formed. Um, okay. The Dark Side of the Room, as you know, it it opens up with a, a newspaper clip from the Oregonian mm -hmm. newspaper mentioning that there, some of the homeless population had been murdered, decapitated. And uh, the, the first thought that popped in my head was who's the guy who gets called to investigate that crime scene. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and then from there, I just, I, the story just seemed to, to like appear before me. And I, and I wrote that one and it's called along the shadow. With the dark side of the room, I finished this one the other day and it did not go the way I was expecting it all. It's almost, you know, kind of like a creature feature in a way. Yeah. And I yeah. was not expecting it to go that way. Cause it starts out with, you know, like the mental horror and stuff. Like she's got dementia or Alzheimer's. She's sort of losing it. And then there's all the, I don't want to give too much away, but all the animal mm -hmm. stuff, which I wasn't expecting. I really liked the way it went. It reminded awesome. me of, um, uh, what's the Stephen King movie where they're like in the, the basement, clean out the basement kind of thing. The night. night oh shift. yeah. 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 It's, night it shift, gave me yeah. vibes of the night shift a lot. Awesome. That's so cool, man. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, the rats. Uh -huh. yeah. And then you don't yeah. know, like I said, I don't want to give too much away, but you don't know if they're real or if they're selling her head and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. That one was fun to write. And it, I, yeah, I, after Criterium, I had spent so much, um, I'd spent so much time like in the emotional landscape of things. And when I started The Dark Side of the Room, that's, that's still sort of where my head was at. And right. then mm -hmm. as I was writing it, the, the, the whole, final act became clear i just thought man we we got to go pedal to the metal here yeah i just it totally go all took out. a shift in a in a great way that i thought i love all the cool the animal horror the creature feature kind of stuff awesome, that man. seems to be I'm your so style that, that. that i've read so far from you emotional horror did, mm -hmm. is that something you set out for or did you just kind of just work yourself into it it just came that way yeah yeah it's not <laughs> I mean, you just sit down and like, I'm going to write the moat, the biggest emotional horror let's, let's story break your ever. That it, it just happened, right? Or <laughs> You do have a heart. <laughs> I, yeah. Yeah, man. That's It's funny you ask that because, okay, before before Criterion came out, I knew I read I read all genres, all different styles. I'm not I don't just read horror. But that's where my heart is. That's that's what I love to read and love to write. It's where my interest is. Uh, so I just thought th there's horror. I didn't know all these terms like grief horror and addiction horror mm -hmm. and emotional horror. I just thought it's it's horror. Oh, there's a million um, of them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I I guess I just never put much thought into what genre or subgenre things fell into right. because. Mm -hmm. I love it. I mean, Stephen King, I'm using him as an example because we've probably all read a lot of his work. Like you think of the the scope of what he's written, like you've got misery, but then you've got the shining and mm -hmm. you've got Gerald's game and they're all very, very different, but they're all horror. Like I have yeah. never seen those categorized in sub genres before. Mm -hmm. So when 
when I started hearing people refer to Criterium or the dark side of the room as emotional horror or addiction horror, things like grief horror was one that came up a lot. It, it was never my intention to fall into any category. It just happened. Um, uh -huh. Yeah, I, I get kind of caught up in the characters when I write. And I figure if we're going to go places, um, whether it's emotionally or in like you were talking about the dark side of the room, if we're going to go places that are violent or it, mm -hmm. emotional, like let's go there. Let's, let's actually explore it and do it for real. Let's not dance around the issues. And so oh, when yeah. it comes to those real life things, uh, yeah, man, I, I dig in for sure and get kind of caught up in what these characters might be experiencing and feeling and going through. And it's, it's just cool that for, for a reader, it comes across that way. So I'm, I'm fine with whatever tag someone wants to put on it, but it's so, not. So you feel like you're more character driven than when you're, when you're doing your, your stories, just not so much the plot, but I mean, you're focused so much on the characters and their feelings, their emotions, everything else just kind of falls into place. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm really concept driven. It has to have a good idea. Like if you mm -hmm. look at, if you look at the back of, or the description on Amazon of my books, mm -hmm. they're just a couple sentences because I, I want to give an idea of what the, the, the concept is. And hopefully that's intriguing enough, but I don't like descriptions that go on and on and on and tell you like, I'll tell you everything. Points. <laughs> yeah. Cause you're like, okay, well that's the first quarter of the book. Clearly right. there's some <laughs> that are long. I'm like, I don't, I don't, I try not to read the long ones, you know, I just it's want like all the smart, all the yeah. big pub ones that are on the side of the hardback. It's like 14 paragraphs telling you the whole outline of the book. Yeah. And some of them give away points that I'd rather not know. Yeah. Uh, but so I am, uh, the concept is what has to interest me first. I have to get really into that. It's gotta be something either weird, strange, creepy, something's gotta be going on for me to invest my time right. as a reader and as a writer. So once we're in there in the concept, and then I start writing the characters and whatever's going on in their life, um, I feel this responsibility in what I'm doing. If I'm going to describe someone mourning the death of of his dad mm -hmm. uh i need to do it in a way that feels real i can't i can't avoid all the hard feelings that that character may be going through um if he's addicted to pills what how does that feel for his mom you know what kind of guilt is he experiencing like i, I really need to dig into it for me because otherwise I feel like I'm just wasting my time writing the story unless I, I just tear back all the skin and muscle and blood and get down to the mm. bone of the issue. Right. Uh -huh. So that's, that's just, I don't know other how, uh, I don't know any other way to do it. So since you're so character driven, do you ever just out in regular life, do you ever find yourself just kind of observing people getting feelings and ideals for your next character maybe? Or is that just me? Is that totally weird? <laughs> It's weird. Yeah. Okay. You are I, weird, I, Jay. I figured it was. I figured it was. Yeah. I not consciously. No, okay. I'm never I'm never sitting with someone like um I've talked about this before, but I, I work in healthcare. So I, okay. I get to meet a lot of different people in uh, a lot of those people, it's the worst day of their life. Mm -hmm. Uh they're in the hospital because they're injured or sick or scared or someone they, they love is. So when I'm sitting with people, I'm, I'm constantly observing and recording things they say, how they say them, but I'm not thinking I'm going to use that, but I'm just thinking, gosh, okay. So this is, 
um, it's a weird thing. Like if you're sitting with someone um, who's just lost a loved one, grief, that immediate raw pain doesn't look like what it does in a movie. Right. Uh huh. You know, and it's it's interesting the 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 process that people will go through, and you can watch it on their face. You can watch, you know, eighteen different emotions cross over their face as they're trying to to control it and process it. Right. And th- those are the kinds of things that I observe. Like, okay, this uh, even in uh, sometimes intense situations, like in the hospital, when you have a when a patient's coding, mm-hmm. um, which means they're 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 dying, yeah. Yeah. and you know the whole team descends upon the room. I think a lot of people would probably be surprised how much joking goes on, how not intense it feels at the moment, because you've got all these people focused on this really monumental task mm-hmm. and you can't stop and think about what it all means. Like what, what if we right. fail? Yeah. So, so some of the defense mechanism starts coming out and you hear people like, Oh, so how was golfing on Saturday? You know, as someone's doing chest compressions on a guy trying to keep his heart going yeah. And, yeah. and to someone on the outside that might like look cold, but once years being in that environment, you realize it's just a defense because what's the alternative? Right. Uh-huh. This guy's dying. I just broke his ribs so that I can compress his heart. I could pump it manually and right. his family's yeah. right outside the door, bawling their eyes out. So yeah. you, those melt those down things, if you don't have that release of that sort of joke. Yeah. 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 And it's, it's not, I mean, you do have to like shut off a little bit. So those kinds of moments I observe because they feel real and they feel different than what you'd see on TV. And and it's not like you're like standing there. Okay. I'm going to use this as character, but like you said, it has an effect on you, uh, you know, maybe subconsciously later on in life. If you're writing a character, it may just be there. The, the, the observations that you saw, the experience, yeah, the experience may just come out automatically in one of your characters, you know, without sure. even thinking about it at all. Are you a doctor? No. <laughs> okay. I, just, I, no. Just I don't like he, dress, he, he dresses fancy like a doctor. <laughs> I was, I was yeah. getting that. So. You need a prescription, Jay? <laughs> <laughs> we, we, we could talk backstage a little bit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and but we were talking about you. You do like to do character-driven stuff, and if you're really in-depth characters and you know then that is what drives the story forward you don't have to have this big intricate crazy plot you know the characters and their emotions or whatever they're going through that's what's going to drive the plot forward and so i feel like dark side of the room was like that i'm almost done with almost roof ruth and that's definitely like that as well how far did you get um i'm i have like three or four chapters left i'm like chapter 23 24 something like that i'm near the end so you'd be really mad if i just gave away the ending probably (laughs) Okay, come through the. That. I won't do that. Yeah, I'll be mad. Has... Jay. <laughs> I wouldn't do that to Tyler. I would just yeah. probably send you a message. <laughs> yeah, ruin it privately, man. Yeah. Ruin it. <laughs> Don't drag me into this. Yeah. The the grief in almost roof is palpable. Like there's one scene that actually made me tear up and cry a little bit. And I won't I won't mm. say what it is or anything, but like that felt so realistic. Like you're talking about, you know, you kind of deal with those experiences at work and in your real life. It felt so real and raw and just gritty like that's probably one of the most i don't know well written experiences of grief of someone losing a loved one that i've read in a book i'm sure you know wow. what scene i'm talking about i do yeah that's, that's Jay, you really, read it as well right yeah yeah i mean just to, to hear. see just to see that scene how it plays out like you know and I, I i know everybody does this but i'm making a movie in my head when i'm reading so mm-hmm. 
I'm just imagining like a rocking chair and someone just kind of, I don't want to give away too much because I mean, you guys got to see, read it yourself, but yeah, just how long it, the, the process takes and for mm. the media, the person to watch it happen, you know, it was, it was rough a few times to, to mm. get like through the, some of those parts. Like that immediate, like after, like when they realized what was going on, that was just like heartbreaking. <laughs> yeah. 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 What, yeah. Well, so I, writing something like that, yeah. like what, um, like how, how does that affect you getting that deep into, uh, the plot and the story, the, the, where it was going. I mean, do you ever write a chapter and walk away from it for a while because you got pretty emotionally involved with it or, or does it, you've done it so much now it just brushes off. No, no, it, it gets to me. Yeah, mm -hmm. for sure. I don't think, um, obviously I'm not the only one, but if, yeah. if I'm able to write something like that and it can affect you across mm -hmm. the country, Right. in such a way that it it i think that we all bring our own experiences and feelings and fears to whatever art it is mm -hmm. and if i'm honest enough then hopefully a reader will recognize that honesty and uh feel something as well right. so so yeah i i i i do feel it absolutely um cuz i'm tapping into my own stuff you know yeah uh and yeah, that's that story in particular. Uh, that's, yeah, I, I think, I mean, I, I can't talk about it too in detail without giving things away, but. Right. Yeah, definitely um, don't want to ruin that one for anybody. Yeah, but it, it's so weird, man. I, I wrote, I wrote that book and th those scenes, they meant a lot to me as well. They, they seemed mm -hmm. to say something that I needed to get out in somehow some some way and they came out yeah. in this form of a story and looking back on it uh like i sent it to a few beta readers before putting it out and with every email that i sent a beta reader i i gave them this caveat saying i have no idea what this is i really mm -hmm. don't I, I don't know i don't know how to classify it i don't know how to describe it i don't i have, I have no idea and it wasn't until the book was actually out and uh, someone asked me about it that I realized it's a, it's the story of a marriage. That's what it is yeah, at its core. And I, I, I couldn't see that real clearly, but I just, I think that there's marriage is a really unique relationship and there's, mm -hmm. there's no other relationship quite like it. And in order for it to be everything that it can be, you, we have to let go of, um, this version of ourselves that we want to project to another mm -hmm. person. And we have to allow ourselves to be completely vulnerable, mm -hmm. completely like here, here are all my flaws, all my failures. If you still choose to love me in spite of those, I will <laughs> love you in return, <laughs> but we can't, we can't put up these fronts and, and, and say that we're right when we're wrong. Uh -huh. you know, we can't act like we're stronger than we are. We have to admit, our weaknesses in order to really um, allow that relationship to become something that will last a lifetime. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's what that whole book is about. I, I don't know. I was going to say the way, it's not the way for you're me to decide it, yeah. <laughs> the way you're pitching it right now, it almost seems like a book that, you know, a marriage counselor counselor could give to <laughs> a couple, <laughs> you know, <laughs> the way you're pitching this, like, Hey, read this. Everything will be fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
This is how it's supposed to be. But wow. <laughs> isn't it funny though? Like that's how I describe it, but I don't know that someone else would describe it that way. You know? Yeah. I don't I mean, know. I wasn't, I, don't know what... I wasn't thinking of it that way until you said it. I was like, yeah, it, it actually is like that. I mean, the, the listeners are like, wow, he yeah. just got deep. Like they're taking notes <laughs> now. They're like going to go home and, and uh, well, a lot of guys are like, oh gosh, my wife's going to talk to me now. <laughs> 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 We're going to have the talks, you know? Yeah. yeah. And, why can't you love me the way Abel loves Ruth? <laughs> See what we you should all aspire oh. to that. <laughs> yes. And like in the scene, like I was sad for what's going on with the characters, but I think what made me even more sad was putting myself in their place and like how I would mm -hmm. react and how, what that would do to me. So I was connecting with them, even though I haven't experienced that myself, but I still had that sort of connection, like wondering, like, what would I do? How would I react to that as well? Yeah. 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 I think the, the, my, my favorite writing gives me the, the space. Um, I think a lot of writing, a lot of art maybe has to have some negative space in it for mm -hmm. a reader or a viewer, whatever art it is to insert themselves, to, to see themselves in it. So you can't like, you have to give them room and the same is yeah. true as a writer as well. I think that I have to see, um, I have to imagine these things. I have to, a lot of what I do is put myself in uh, a character's shoes and imagine what it would feel like. And I, mm -hmm. I do that in life as well. Like in my job, I, I'm constantly, um, I have a lot of compassion for people in all walks of life, in all circumstances. I mean, even the guy who, has ruined his body with drugs and alcohol and ends up in the hospital. I, I, mm -hmm. I never look at someone like that and think, Oh, you idiot. Like right. you did this to yourself. Mm -hmm. I just, I wonder, man, what are you going through? Like, how did you end up here? There's a story there. And, and I've, I just, I find, uh, I find human beings endlessly fascinating and worthy of compassion as well. I don't think mm -hmm. most people are beyond redemption. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I do the same thing. It's it's a it's putting myself in in someone else's shoes and then seeing what path they're on and then projecting that path into the future, and mm -hmm. then what whatever that looks like is sort of inevitable based on the story. And the, to go along with that, like allowing the reader or the viewer to be to put themselves in there. You don't over-explain stuff. Like you don't give every single detail about everything because then that doesn't give the reader any room to insert themselves or use their own imagination. If everything is explained, you do just enough yeah. to set it up. And then if they want to, they can sort of insert themselves sort of like I did into that scene. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I tend to think of it in, in two, two layers. Uh, layer number one would be the story itself. Like let's take criterion, for example, the layer number one would be the, the situation of it all. You've got a kid mm -hmm. mourning the death of his father and he has an addiction to pain meds mm -hmm. and he stumbles across a strange bike. So of course there's going to be some family drama in there. Um, that's like layer number one, but then layer number two is the emotional landscape. And I think that for me, I prefer not to go over the top in detail on layer number one. I prefer uh -huh. to reserve that for layer number two because I think the emotional landscape is universal. Mm -hmm. I think that if you can relate to those feelings, you can relate to those. I can other than other people can as well. 
So those those are the areas where I think let's let's deep dive there. The right. the yeah. rest of it will leave some room, but as far as the emotional landscape goes, like yeah, let's describe every every hill and every valley there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I totally feel you doing that with with like I said, almost Ruth and some of the dark side of the room too, especially with uh, was her name Betsy, mm-hmm. with her emotional just sort of landscape, like she just kind of felt lost, didn't know what was going on. Yeah, have you yeah. have you? Have you have you had anybody in your life with amnesia or not amnesia, uh, dementia and stuff that you sort of drew from, or is that just something you wanted for that character specifically? Cause it felt raw. Cause my, um, my wife's grandmother had dementia really bad. And mm-hmm. so I've felt, I didn't really know her too well. So I sort of felt that connection with Betsy as well, having to do, you know, sort of losing it slowly. And I like the way it's described the dark side of the room in her mind, sort of slowly creeping across, taking her memories and stuff. Yeah, that was an interesting way to describe it like that. Yeah. yeah, that that idea came to me. So yeah, in answer to your question, yeah, I've had I've had some family members deal with that. Um, mm-hmm. Lost some family members who struggled with that up until the end, and then I've seen it also in the hospital as well. Yeah, and it's it's there's degrees of it, of course, mm-hmm. and it tends to get worse over time. But it is it is a little unnerving to be in the room with someone who's not sure where they are, who you are and what's going on. They're yeah. seeing something. They, there's an awareness that something is going on, but it's not the reality. And it's mm-hmm. unnerving to, uh, there was one, one patient. I remember he was, he was talking about uh, his little brother hiding under the bed and a broken toy all over the floor. And he was asking me not to step on the toy. Mm-hmm. And he was in his memory. He was back in childhood. Yeah, he was seeing that himself. Yeah, yes. yeah. Which, which was it, it's it's a little unnerving and and fascinating at the same time because it's like these memories are real, but they're they're time traveling. Yeah. Right. So so that's where the idea of the the room came from is that there's this 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 darkness, this shadow that's covering over certain memories, and others are left in the light, but mm-hmm. maybe what they're connected to is in the dark. So you yeah. see it from the past, but don't realize that it's in the past because all those connections are in the dark now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's, and the mind is a strange thing. You know, a neur- neurologist once told me that we, we know less that what we know about the brain is a fraction of what we don't know that there's more uh-huh. we don't know. Yeah. Which is really fascinating to think of. You know, we have rovers on another planet in our <laughs> solar system snapping crystal clear pictures, and yet the human mind remains mostly unmapped and yeah. not understood. And dementia, I think that's one of the scariest things, ways to go, just losing your memories and not knowing who people oh, are, yeah. what's going on. That that would be absolutely terrifying. And even yourself, you wouldn't even know it. So you wouldn't even know really. Oh, yeah, you, you wouldn't know you're, it's happening to yourself. And it, yeah. <laughs> so then, of course, when someone points it out to you, you know, you're going to argue and fight it. But mm-hmm. yeah, I didn't know he's going so and, deep. Nice. The denial and everything. <laughs> well, Tyler's books are deep, man. You got to know. I mean, we, we just, this is like the deepest we ever got. <laughs> I feel like I should be like whispering, talking about it. Man. Just, I think you should. Else on your... Yeah. <laughs> little <laughs> ASMR. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So do you think almost Ruth is your best work? Because I, I said it's your best. I know uh, 
Ross Jeffrey has said it's your best. Um, I don't know about what Brad thinks. What What do you think about Almost Ruth? Do you think it's your best? I, I like Dark Side of the Room, but I did like almost. I think I'm going to like Almost Ruth more. Mm. So you think it's your best, Tyler? Then, or are you, your best hasn't come yet? That's I, like I, asking him say to that. pick his. <laughs> that's like asking to pick your favorite child. Like, which yeah. one do you like more than the other one? Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. The way. <laughs> Put him nope. on the spot, Jay. No, yeah, you didn't. No, you didn't, Jay. <laughs> He's cussing me the up way, his breath right now. <laughs> the way I see it is each book was the best I could do at the time. I, okay. I I brought the best that I could in that moment, and it's based on all the circumstances surrounding. Like uh, Criterium came quick. Criterium to me it, it has a it has a an energy to it it just moves the dark side of the room came pretty easy as well almost ruth was really difficult to write okay uh -huh. so i struggled with it i stopped and started multiple times i thought this is i don't know what i'm this is a, this is an absolute failure it's not going to be i'm not going to be able to release it mm -hmm. and but i kept going because i had so much written already and i needed to know how it ended for me yeah. So I, I couldn't see it clearly. <laughs> so, and now, and now it's out and I, you know, I sent it to some beta readers and truly the beta readers really help me see it because I'm, I'm so close to it that when I let go of it, I don't know what it is. I need someone else to read it and tell me what it is to have a reaction to it. And then I can, I can, okay, okay. It, it deserves to exist. I wasn't <laughs> sure. Do you think it was harder so I don't, for Go ahead. I don't want to interrupt. Sorry. No, no, no. I my my thought trailed off anyway. I was gonna say, do you think almost Ruth was hard for you to write because it is longer than novella length, or was it just sort of just a story in general, or you don't really know what what it was? Boy, uh, <laughs> that is a good question, though. So, uh, Criterion was the first novella that I ever wrote, but I wrote I'm trying to think like seven novels before that. Okay. Um, one of which was like 800 pages long. So it was a monster. So it wasn't the length that mm -hmm. was difficult. In fact, writing a novella, I think writing Criterion was harder to be concise because I tend okay. to overwrite and then cut. I just, I think it was circumstantial. I think there was, there was, um, there was a lot going on. It was a crazy time crazy year work mm -hmm. was busy there's family stuff going on i just mm -hmm. felt emotionally spent and then i would sit down and write and expend myself even further emotionally yeah but well, those I, it, but it was useful i i think that i that to me is a way of 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 working through it and processing it i'm sure some people like throw on a tv show that's comforting and and check out and forget whatever's going on for me mm -hmm. i i write it out and that's my way of like getting it out and, and exhausting my emotional connection to to certain things so you say you have other books before criterium are they under tyler jones or is it under a different name we're never going to see those we're already. about those <laughs> he never released them yeah. that, that's what it is he never released them yeah yeah they know that they were all uh five out of seven were terrible um <laughs> those are those are your practice novels then right it, they really were yeah they were me learning how to tell a story but now you go um, back and and fix them and finish them, them. yeah i'm you curious know, what the 800 page one was 
yeah. The 800 page one. I, so, okay. That's number six. Um, <laughs> number seven. I, I do believe in, I, I think it's a good book and I'm, I'm, uh-huh. I'm working on some things to try and get that one out into the world okay. sooner than later. Uh, number six. So that was the 800 page one. And it was, uh, it was about a, a young rock and roll band on tour and their lead singer has terrible, terrible stage fright. And the band didn't realize it because they'd never played shows live before getting signed to a record label and making an album. They like just played in the garage. But once they're out on tour, they realize, oh my gosh, this guy, like he cannot (laughs) face the crowd. And um, it gets kind of weird from there because they get connected with this shadowy organization that gives him uh, an experimental medication to to help him face his fears. But it doesn't work as planned. And (laughs) he may or may not become a cult leader. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Just throwing that in there. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's possible. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. you know, it was really I cool about that one, <laughs> which was really cool. It makes me want to, to revisit that one is I, I think, I think the idea is good. I think it's cool. Mm-hmm. A cool story. But, um, I thought I, I've, so I've read, I've read some books about bands and mm-hmm. every time you read about it, like a fictional band, you have to imagine what they sound like. Right. Yeah. And I thought, I don't want to do that. I don't want to waste pages trying to describe their sound. So I wrote and recorded demos of all their songs. So I wrote nice. their songs. So you you got to, yeah, this needs released. I mean, I would, you got to release like a CD with the, the CD along with yeah. it. Digital downloads. Well, that's, yeah, that's the, the original intention was that. So every song mentioned in that book is a real song that exists that I've, I've recorded. And I was thinking, I don't know if it's possible to have like an ebook where you could have the song title um, highlighted, like some kind of hyperlink to yeah, where yeah. as you're reading, you could just hit it and listen to it as you're reading. So I don't have to sweet. waste time describing And when writers describe yeah. music, like they <laughs> use these really hyperbolic terms to describe, like read you gotta, music you look reviews. Into that. That's yeah. That's just crazy. Like if you read the review of, of, of an album, like the language that a reviewer uses is just hysterical. Right. <laughs> it's like, that's what you got from the music. Like we're talking about a rock and roll album and you're describing it like in these, yeah, just they, they got these $10 terms. words. Yeah. They got these yeah. like these over the top $10 words. And you're like, dude, I just want to know if it rocks or not. Is it as good, <laughs> right. is it as, good as the last one? Is it better? Let me know. Is it worse? Is there, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like I, I got that. I think I was reading, uh, uh, we sold our Grady Hendrix. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, we, we sold our soul. Is that what the, the one with the rock band? I think that's what it was. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I, I remember he tried to kind of explain the sound of the band, and I, and I was, I think I was supposed to be picturing Black Sabbath, but it didn't come across that way, you know. Mm-hmm. So uh, it was a good that's book a- overall. But I, I do, I do like those kind of stories with the band in it. Cause I mean, I'm a music guy, so I, I, I love music. So I love when, but you could tell sometimes when someone did their research and when someone didn't, you know, yeah. it just the, some of the terminology and the way it comes across. So yeah, but you, you need to work on that. You need to find out about that and release that. I, that I'd get that in, in a second. Some, yeah. Someday, someday. And I hope, I hope that I could do it before someone else does it. Cause it's, as far as I know, it hasn't been done. Well, we, copyright we, right now yeah i was gonna say <laughs> i know i know i'm a little yeah, nervous yeah, yeah. We, we need we can and that was that part, part of what excited me about it is it seemed like it seems like everything's been done but that was something that at least i haven't seen where uh-huh. you you have this multimedia 
um, book and music and the music is <laughs> like an in, intricate part of the book in the story. It's not just something tacked on at the end for the sake of it. It's actually part of the story. Yeah. That sounds yeah. really, I like the immersion with that. That's, you really know, cool. what that would really work with, um, um, Blackheart Boys Choir. Yeah. Uh, Curtis Lawson. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. We had him on as, as a guest. It's Friday, guys. But yeah, wouldn't that be awesome? To, like, like the head hit something on there and hear the, the choir. Cause scene. they're doing all the classical music. Yes. And stuff. Yeah. Mm. Oh, see. You got you got to do this, that Tyler. You got to yeah. do it right now. So, because I, I don't remember if you were on with Nikki and said it, or if you were on with Ross when you said it. But you said uh, you can always tell if an author when they're talking about music if they're a musician themselves or if they've done a bunch of research for it. I mm-hmm. think it was you talking about that. So with you, because I you know you said you've been in bands and stuff, so yeah. that would all come naturally to you instead of just sort of using words that music words that might not work or might not make sense for what it is. Yeah, yeah, and I I, I never. I don't fault anybody. Like I've never read a book and thought, well, I can't finish this because of how they're describing the music. <laughs> yeah. It's it's more uh it's not out loud. It's but... it's hard to it's hard to describe a sound. It's hard to describe a melody. Mm-hmm. It, yeah. I, I you can't you can't do it very well. So it just seemed better or more succinct anyway to to give them the melody. Here's what it is. Now I don't have to talk about it. You yeah. decide. You decide what it sounds like. I think. I think some of that. How can I put this without hurting people's feelings? <laughs> um, like I said, I'm a music guy. You seem like you're a music guy. We have our favorite bands, but we mm-hmm. can't always put into words what that band does for us. And it's almost yeah. like in some books that have a band. That's what they're trying to do. They're trying to put into words what their favorite band does for them in a descriptive way to keep the reader involved. And it sometimes doesn't come across too well because like, yeah, like my favorite band of all time is Pearl Jam. And I set my mm-hmm. wife crazy because as much as, cause I have every live show ever. And, and there's makes, like 800 of them. <laughs> yes. And she, and she makes, comments, yeah. And she makes comments because if, if, if we're listening to something in the car, you know, I want to finish it. Or if she turns it down, I'm like, you can't do that during a solo or whatever. Like, <laughs> she says, these are her words. <laughs> Her words are, don't you have like 37 different versions of that at the house? And I'm like, yes, but this one is different. Okay. So <laughs> right. when I read about a band and like a book or something, like I know that the writer's trying to get that across, you know, and get their feeling across, but I can't get my feeling across to her on why that one is different. So I can see how hard it would be to kind of write a band the proper way in a book. Yeah. But if you have the sound with the book, yeah, <laughs> play it. That that's a whole new world. So yeah, so I, I just totally got excited it, about that. So sorry. Well, it's something <laughs> that people will always disagree on. Is what something sounds like. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. You know, like I, yeah. I'm trying to think of an example, but maybe I don't need to give one. But you know exactly what I mean. <laughs> I, you, I, you can, I just you totally can... went off in a different direction, but I, I know <laughs> I, I I know what it is. <laughs> Jay's super excited about this book, Tyler. You need to put. I, I know. Yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna bug you every day until it's ready to go. <laughs> well, I'm just thinking I could play you guys a band that neither of you have ever heard of, maybe that I'm a fan of, and each okay. of you would would describe it differently, and you yeah, would compare own. it compare it to to some band that you are familiar with, right? Mm-hmm. And it may not be correct, but it's not incorrect. But uh-huh. that means it's just this abstract thing. Then it's non-specific. Yeah. 
So how do you describe that? It, it's a, it's more of a it's more of a feeling than something you can put into words. Chad, you're not wrong, buddy. I, yeah, honestly, yeah, yeah. So, like, what does the color yellow smell like? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. So, with, in your music, did you do you play or do you sing or what do you do with music? Uh, both. Yeah, both? I used to, I used to play in bands. Now I just um, I just make things for me. I I had to make a choice at some point. You know, when you've got a busy life, it becomes, um, I had to decide what's more important to me, writing or music. I don't have time to devote to both. And I could be maybe sort of good at both mm -hmm. or really devote myself to one and try right. and be as good as I can. And mm -hmm. I, I, uh, just lost a headphone. Um, <laughs> uh, Sorry, hold on. I messed something up here when I dropped my headphone. Oh, you're okay. This is we the most professional podcast, so it's okay. <laughs> we still got you. If you can hear us, you're good. Okay. Yeah. Works what, for what professionals here, about? Tyler. So, the, yeah. Uh, <laughs> love of love of writing over over do, or choosing writing over music, yeah. and not one to right, do both. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I just decided that uh, that writing is what I need to do. It's what I love to do. I love mm -hmm. music still, and and I'll occasionally play and write songs and i'm constantly thinking of melodies and ideas and i just don't do it the way i used to like i would write songs like daily daily mm -hmm. i would have multiple ideas I, and uh it's it's hard to manage it's hard to keep track of so it sounds like you could take one of your books turn it into a movie and you could do the soundtrack for it so go ahead and get on that yeah too. i would i would <laughs> love to do a score someday yeah i think that would be amazing are there recordings uh, of your band days floating around anywhere? Next question. <laughs> Next question. Hey, we, we asked that to Kev Harrison. He we was have like, Kev yeah, and he, he told us where we could find him. He, was, he had long, like, hair, like, metal <laughs> on his videos. Like, oh. Did he really? You should, put yeah. like a, you should get, like, a super group of, of writers who also are in bands. Get Chad and oh, Kev man. and Tyler. <laughs> Josh Mallerman. Yeah, get, yeah, get yeah. everybody together. Just do a super group of readers and writers or i don't know what think of a, i like, like that a, you you have the nerve to call it a super group <laughs> <laughs> super group of writers try yeah, to be a who, band who are playing music <laughs> it'll be super something <laughs> give it a shot and so then what, I, at the concerts you could throw you could sell your books let's like, instead of selling t-shirts yeah. and stuff and bumper stickers you guys could have your books up instead yeah. of you yeah, throwing your guitar picks in the crowd you toss some books in the crowd yeah <laughs> You guys could be onto something. <laughs> just knocking people out left and yeah, right. Just, just that big 800 page one, just throwing that into the crowd. Yeah. <laughs> it's on a phone book. Oh. <laughs> nice. Was there something specifically about writing books that you not necessarily loved more, but that you wanted to pursue that over the over the music stuff? Was it just a more creative outlet for you or or just something yeah. kind of different than what you'd been doing? No, I've always wanted to write and I've always, I've always written just, mm -hmm. it needed, it needed focus. Mm. Uh, I've, I've, I dreamt of writing a novel for years and years before I actually wrote one. Mm -hmm. And it, it's just, yeah, it's a different, different art form. It activates a different part of my brain. Striper used to. <laughs> wow. Were those books Bibles? I was going to say. <laughs> <I was curious. laughs> 
Do yeah. people throw them back? Yeah. <laughs> no, but when wow. they got hit with one, the, the, the demons left. I'm exercised <laughs> by demons. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and so so writing writing it um it's something I don't know how else to say it. I needed to do it. I needed I need to write. Yeah. Uh, music as much as I love it. I can set it aside and be okay, but if I don't mm. write for a couple of days, I get really antsy, and I need to. Mm. I okay. I need to do it. I don't know how else to. It's just that outlet for you. Exact. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Chad is <Wow>. confirmed. <laughs> I'm wondering if we can find videos of that on YouTube somewhere. I'm sure. Yeah. As soon as we're done, I'm searching it. <laughs> <laughs> so with your with your new book that's coming out your your short story collection how long have you been working on that one that and what's <clears throat> what's it called again burn is burn the plans is that correct burn the plans yeah burn the plans okay okay it, so the story behind burn the plans is kind of interesting to me maybe it'll be interesting to someone else i had uh i had the privilege of of being in a writing workshop with chuck polinuk for about two years that's my next question. So good segue there. <laughs> yeah, I knew that. I read your mind. I figured you did. Yeah. Yeah, it's telekinesis. <laughs> uh, so I was able to to be in this workshop with a with a wonderfully gifted group of of writers, and the whole point we were there to to learn, to write stories, to learn, to. Um, I've talked about this before, but I'll, I'll mention it again. Chuck wrote a book called Consider This, and it's all mm -hmm. about writing. And it's one of the best books on writing I think anyone can read. And all of all of the wisdom that's in there is what he was teaching us. So as he was teaching in the workshop, he was writing Consider This simultaneously. So he was, okay. was this process. So in that workshop, I would write short stories, bring them in, get feedback uh, from the group, get feedback from Chuck, and then I'd edit the stories. And I tried to send them out to anthologies or you know open calls magazines what have you mm -hmm. and some of them got published some of them got on uh the no sleep podcast and but i still had a ton that hadn't been picked up or i hadn't sent out and i wasn't sure what i was going to do with them so i wrote them over the course of about two years and um let's see i had a couple stories published with cemetery gates um, in a couple of anthologies and they, they reached out and asked if I had more that were unpublished and if I'd be interested oh. in putting together a collection. And I hadn't really considered it until I put them all together. Like I realized, mm -hmm. wow, I've got quite a few. And once I put them all in one, like they, they existed separately, you know, a story, right. these separate files. And once they were all in one volume, one file, and I went through them, I realized, wow, there, there seemed to be, a theme here maybe or mm -hmm. they they flow together kind of like an album yeah you yeah. know you can have slow songs fast songs different tempos but they all seem to work together as a cohesive whole and that's mm -hmm. what the collection was like i the the period of time in which i wrote those stories they just seemed to work together really well and so so now they are collected in what is officially known as burn the plans nice that's cool it's, it's through cemetery gates media because they have a lot of anthologies themselves 
Mm-hmm. And, and you've had stories in some of their anthologies. So, I mean, it's fitting that your short story collection would be through them because they probably already have some of them. So, yeah. Yeah. Pretty cool. Yeah. And um, they're entering in, into this new phase of their um, publishing. So they've done primarily anthologies right. up until this last year. And then that, so they're moving into releasing works by single authors. You know, they did, yeah. um, Ross Ross was only, mm-hmm. yeah, only the stains remain. And, uh, Jen McCarthy's book, um, sometimes were cruel. Do they do a yeah, Jim Moore's uh, six rooms? Is, was that them? I was yeah. Else. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Six rooms. And then, um, yeah, I think they're putting out some, a few novellas from Glenn Kirsch as well. Yeah, they're kind of moving into this new new phase, with, so it's really cool to be a part of that. So all of these uh, short stories in Burn the Plans, th- these have already been written from the past. Yeah. And there are any new ones in there? Or... Yeah. So a few of them are. A few of them have been published. I think five or six of them have been published, and there's okay. there's fifteen stories total. Okay. So nine. I <laughs> just lost on the math. Uh, the math. Eight, yeah, there, eight, eight, eight or nine of them. More of them are new than, than, than read. Okay. Yes. Yes. Did you write these so, uh, while you were writing Almost Ruth? Or was Ruth already done and you wrote a bunch of new short stories? Uh, I Most of these were all written before Ruth. Okay. Yeah, I'm I'm actually finishing up one now. Um, I was going to there was gonna <laughs> so I have a story called Who Built the Moon included in the uh, uh, what's it called? Oh my gosh, Midnight from Beyond the Stars, the anthology from Silver Shamrock. Right. And um, I was going to include that story in Burn the Plans, but it got accepted. Yeah, that one. Yep. So that story got accepted in that anthology and so then i pulled it from burn the plans and so i'm writing a new one now to replace that one so one of them will be brand spanking new cool how long did it ta- i don't know if we answer this how long did it take you to write ruth like total from beginning to end was like is. a year or so no no um from beginning to end i think the first draft was maybe five months Okay, so and so, and so some of these short stories in uh, Burn the Plans, you had them written before Ruth, so they've just been waiting. Almost all of them, yeah. Waiting in the wings just to be exposed. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I another one. Sorry, I'm all over the place. It's Friday night. What do you expect? But uh, going yeah. back to your going back to the writing class with mm-hmm. Chuck Polinick, was that before or after uh, Burnt Tongues? I know he didn't he write the forward or the intro to Burnt Tongues and you had a story in that, correct? Yeah, yeah. He so all those stories were ones that he had picked. Yeah, and he edited that anthology along with a couple other guys. From the class yeah. or uh no, that this was actually much, much earlier. So okay. he okay. he used to have um a writing. So you know the website Lit Reactor? Right. Yeah. Lit Reactor used to be his website and uh, his webmaster, the guy who, who ran his site um, eventually became a film director. His name's Dennis Widmeyer. He directed um, starry eyes and the newest version of pet cemetery. Okay. okay. 
So he ran the site and they had this, this um, online writer's workshop where you would uh, critique each other's work. And there were like, I think a couple thousand people involved in that. And so this was, this was back in like 2009, 2010 Mm -hmm. when that all first came together. So yeah, this burnt tongues was a long time ago. So this, this was completely separate from that. So I had thousands of people critiquing everybody's work. Yeah, it was an interesting system. So um, like if the three of us were in this workshop and say, Jay, you wanted to submit something, you would have to earn points to submit your work by critiquing the work of other people. Oh, every time you, so you had to participate. You had to give in as much as you're getting. So exactly. Okay. Exactly. So it kept people engaged and then, Chuck had decided, well, let's, let's, let's do like a contest. Let's pick the best of the best. And, uh, the whole community would vote and upvote stories that they felt were best and whichever ones rose from the top, he would select from those. And that became burnt tongues. I mean, that's a good concept because you'll get a a different, uh, outlook on what people are looking for in your, in your stories, which may be totally different than what you're doing. So if you're out there critiquing 20 different ones and 20 people do critique yours you know you're not going to see the same thing so that's good to see for the future writings you know how you can attack those areas that's that's a good broad spectrum of feedback from different people yeah it it can be complicated in the sense that it can be intimidating um, too (laughs) yeah and and the fact that when you've got that many people that can comment on a story it becomes difficult to hang on to any particular critique because when you have your work critique you want that criticism to be constructive and you want it to help Mm -hmm. so uh i think a smaller group is better because what may work for most people you're going to have a certain percentage that is not going to work for and then they'll start attacking that the things that other people think work and then at the end of it you're not sure if any of it works because every aspect has been critiqued Mm -hmm. yeah Whereas like in, in the in-person workshop with Chuck, we'd have anywhere between 10 and 15 people. So you get an immediate feedback reaction as you're reading the story in person. I, I like that much better because if you, mm-hmm. if you write a scene that's scary, you can look up and see how engaged everyone is. You can hear gasps. You can hear yeah. laughs if you write something funny. If- and then... People can can go back and forth. Like if someone says, you know, I, I don't think that thing worked very well. Other people can chime in and say, yeah, you know, I felt the same way. But then mm-hmm. they all agree that maybe this other part worked. So then you walk away knowing, okay, this this specific area I need to improve on. Yeah. Yeah. We, we do something similar to that here on Paper Cuts when usually the guest is reading something. <laughs> you can usually see me over here reacting. And- yeah, Jay. <laughs> Now Just I'm bummed. I decided close. not to read. <laughs> <laughs> Grab Daniel's, we could do it. <laughs> Daniel's got a hard hitting question here for you. He wants to know why Hazard's origin story was cut from Burn the Plants. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Dan Frazier is a good friend of mine, and he um, he was in the workshop with with me and Chuck. So he's mm-hmm. got a he's. I've been telling him he needs to put together a short story collection because he's got tons of wonderful stories uh if he's one of the only writers i've read where i thought if you like chuck polinick style um 
it's not like an exact copy. That's not what I mean, but it's the closest that I've seen anyone uh-huh. do original stories where they, they capture that, that spirit, that sort of anarchic spirit. You know, there's a lot of writers who like will try and copy his style to a T, but yeah, Dan is more like inspired by it and has made his own thing. In fact, he's got a story out there um, on Amazon right now called natural selection. It's well worth a read. You get a sense of his style. And maybe more people will bug him to put together a collection. (laughs) And (laughs) so in answer to his question, um, Hazard is a uh, drug dealer in Criterium. And uh, he, yeah, he's a unique character. And he became became sort of a a legend in the, the workshop. So people just loved this character. I read um, the first version of Criterium in Workshop. It was originally a short story before I turned it into a novella. And people just latched on to Hazard. So he would start popping up in other people's stories and sort of nice. like, like homage. And it was so great. I loved it. He, I mean, he must have popped up in like eight or nine different stories to the point where I would all I would be looking for is Hazard going to be in this? <laughs> it's like the and Hazard universe. Usually, <laughs> yeah, he just it was usually a passing reference, but it was awesome. And that was your critique. Well, that was pretty good, but you didn't mention Hazard, so I got exactly. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> just make an anthology of Hazard of a Hazard <laughs> shadowy so figure like, in the background. It sounds like you needed to write another novella aside to Criteria. I'm all about Hazard. Then Hazard is your yeah, Randall flag. Yeah, there you go. Well, you know, it was, yeah, maybe, maybe. In fact, Jeremy, um, Jeremy Robert Johnson in his introduction to Criterium, and he didn't know any of this. He actually wrote, um, <laughs> he, he mentioned Hazard and said that he should have his own book. <laughs> Daniel says like yes. That, so yeah, that Hazard just lives on. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'll, I'm not going to say no. So your next book is the music book. And then after that is hazard book is what it sounds like. It's going to happen. (laughs) (laughs) What do you think? What do you you think it was about that particular character that everyone sort of latched onto? Do you have any idea why everyone sort of championed him sort of in that class? I don't know if championed is the right word, but (laughs) yeah, that's, that's actually, that's a great question, Brad. I, I do. So in writing hazard, so keep in mind, he's a drug dealer. Mm-hmm. I made a conscious effort to not write him like a stereotypical drug dealer. Okay. Everything that we think of when we think of a drug dealer, I did the exact opposite with this guy. So um, he dresses, <laughs> he dresses in suits, <laughs> but he's, he's, he's agoraphobic. He doesn't leave his house or he lives in an apartment, okay. but he lives in a really... Um, crappy rundown apartment complex in Portland, but he's made his apartment really nice. So it has like hardwood floors and nice bookshelves. And he's uh, obsessed with old films. Okay. Like film, anything made before 1980, preferably black and white. And he will have a black and white film playing on this massive screen constantly. And he speaks like he's in an old movie. And he has this really, um, unique system of uh, categorizing his drugs and he doesn't sell anything that isn't made by a pharmaceutical company. Okay. So everything he sells is a pill of some kind that's made legally. Yeah. 
which was, I, I guess, in a way to my a brief comment on the pharmaceutical industry at large. You know, we focus so much on illegal drugs that we uh-huh. neglect the fact that like, People I mean, there is it. cotton and you know, all that yeah. stuff. Oh my gosh. There's a, there's a fentanyl crisis. I mean, there, there were more <laughs> overdose deaths in 2020 than there were yeah. in like the previous 10 years combined or something like, that. I mean, the, the, the number was astronomical and that was all from a, a drug that is prescribed to people like so this whole war on drugs that we've been fighting for decades is failing to massive corporations that are making billions of dollars every year off you know selling this prescribing the same things right i mean it's in a different form and we just got deep again But but Hazard also justifies himself because he he has connections to where he gets all this stuff, but he also sells blood pressure medication to people who need it for cheaper than they could get. There you go. So he sees himself as doing a service as well. He's almost sounds kind of almost like a Robin Hood type character in a way, a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you or don't want to. You don't to like balance his conscience. You don't want to go, go too much into yeah. into detail about the drug part because then people start getting suspicious, Tyler. So just <laughs> yeah. you know, kind of stay on the surface a little bit with it. Yeah, <laughs> so, so I hear I hear these it. things. I read an article. Yeah, allegedly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, I wanted to bring up. Did I see this correctly, or am I totally off? You do a podcast or you're part of one on the side or you're you've, way inter- off, you've, inter- you've, you've interviewed people before for a oh, project. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I was going to uh, there eventually. <laughs> <laughs> I should have just let you keep going. Yeah, I know. Just guessing. Yeah. You talked to people sometimes. Yeah, so, yeah. Just, you, just, you talked. <laughs> Yeah. You left your house. Yeah. <laughs> was it was it Lit Reactor you did those articles on, or was that another site? Yeah, uh, I've I've done some articles. Uh, I've had an interview with Stephen Graham Jones in Dark Moon Digest. I've done some so interviews. If you can for... just call him up to get him on our show, yeah, that'd be great. No, I'm just <laughs> yeah. I'm watch this. I'm like, no way. Yeah. <laughs> I'll send you. Let me send you my PayPal real quick, and then okay. Yeah, just let me know uh, after done... the show how much, and yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've I've done a few for uh, Cemetery Dance, and then I have okay. a um, a column. So the interviews that I've done for Cemetery Dance tend to be just interviews with writers that I admire. Like I interviewed um, Joe Lansdale there, Michael Marshall Smith, Max Booth. Mm-hmm. Um, the but I do have a, a column. It's been dormant for a while at Lit Reactor called Blood in the Gears, and that's where we mm. I get it into craft with writers. So it's where we get to nerd out a little bit, where I get to ask like really specific questions about the process that I hope will be interesting and enlightening to other writers, but we mm-hmm. don't generally talk about other things other than yeah. their process. I got you. Okay. With the interviews, are they like done via Skype or is it just like texting back and forth or? Like the I've done ones? it multiple. Yeah. I've done it multiple ways. Mm-hmm. Um, Stephen Graham Jones and I talked on the phone and Paul Tremblay and I spoke on the phone and then a lot of some, some writers prefer actually to do email okay. because they can, they, they prefer a list of questions. So and I think it just like has, like, yeah, yeah. And I think it's 
some prefer that just because you can control and edit. Right. You don't have to backtrack and yeah. Uh, I've always preferred the in-person. So like when I interviewed Joe Lansdale, that was in person. We, we had coffee in downtown Portland and it was a, it was just a blast talking to him. I have an interview that uh, with Chuck Polinick actually coming in the next issue of Cemetery Dance Magazine. It's been on hold because uh, with COVID, there were some printer issues and things like right. that. So everything just got backed up and backed up. But um, yeah. it was really cool because it's a career retrospective, which he's never done before. That's so I got cool. to sit down with him for a couple hours and hand him each one of his books and say, <laughs> let's talk about this. When you know Where you were at in your life, what was going on. And we went through each one of his books. So it could have been a much longer article. Um, I prefer in person, but it is, it is hard to, to transcribe all that. Right. Oh yeah. I mean, I you mean, imagine like our conversation here and then having to type that up. Yeah. It would be like <laughs> three sentences if I did it. <laughs> we, ha- we, well, I would add tons time. of stuff to what Jay said. I would <laughs> oh, just yeah. add all kinds of things he didn't say. <laughs> I did that enough and, myself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, the in-person ones, they, they're just, there's something about them that's more organic, more conversational and stuff instead of just yeah. bullet point questions. You know, you can say something and then I wasn't planning to say anything, but I play off what you say and, right. you know, just conversational. I like that better. That's why we do it like this instead of, I mean, that's why, we, that's, why we had, that's what we attempt to do. Yeah. Whether but, we succeed yeah. or not is a completely different. Yeah. I mean, we usually no, hope that the guest brings something and then we can feed off that. <laughs> <laughs> I I forgot to mention, yes, you're right. And, and I, I interviewed Max Booth. uh, He's hilarious. (laughs) He really is. Yeah. He's, he's got a gift. (laughs) Yeah. Not very many people have that. It's quick. Not just clever, but yeah. Also funny, genuinely funny Mm -hmm. and a great writer too. Like he, he moves from hilarious to horrifying so fast and so, it's so sneaky. Like he mm-hmm. does that better than almost anyone. And I wanted to try and preserve some of that uh, in our interview. So we actually did it via a, a text, a chat, okay. which was cool because then we could go back and forth and have some of that conversational mm-hmm. stuff going on. And horror and horror and comedy go so well together. Cause you're just playing off these completely opposite emotions and then at the yeah. drop of a hat, it's the complete opposite of what's going on. That yeah, always yeah. meshes so well together. I know. It's something I wish I was better at. I've 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 always loved it and appreciated that. I love horror that's fun or that yeah, re- balances that line. And it's not something that I, I'm very good at. I wish I was better at it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, there are some people Joe Lansdale does that really well too yeah joe's stuff is fun his uh happen leonard books are hilarious yeah oh my gosh i don't think i've ever laughed out loud reading a book until i read (laughs) joe's stuff yeah he's he's a treasure legend have you attempted to do the comedy and horror stuff mixed together like at all and like cut it out or anything or have you just not gone there yet yeah no that uh, i'm glad you asked that so there there's actually um that was book number four in the (laughs) Right. In, the pre- in the previous books yeah. <laughs> yeah uh there's there's a couple stories in burn the plans that i think go that direction okay. there's there's one in particular called boo about um <laughs> a young a young boy who thinks that ghosts are in his house and he and he 
tries to get proof of it that I think is funny. Or I tried, I, I specifically wrote it to try and be a little bit lighter. Uh, uh-huh. And there's another one that'll be in there that's currently untitled that, yeah, starts out that way. That I hope is a little disarming at the beginning and then slowly gets more and more horrifying as it, as it goes on. Yeah, I, Burn oh. the Plans is interesting because it's it's um, it was an opportunity in those short stories for me to try different voices and different experiments. Yeah, like I really, really tr- tried to write in voices that were not my own, and I, um, like there's there's one story that's told entirely through voicemail messages. Uh, so I got to play with some different formats as well. Not not as a gimmick either. Like I. I don't mind gimmicks, but it's just, it's not my thing in particular. But if, if a story idea comes to me and it seems like a certain way of telling it is the best way, right. then I'm mm-hmm. all for trying it. And I couldn't see another way to tell this story except through voicemail messages. That's yeah. interesting. I mean, I, I like, I, I like when it's not overdone, but I do like a story that like that or through emails or through texts or, or, you know, whatever it may be, you know, uh, newspaper articles or whatever, just to mix yeah. it up a bit, just to, to break up the monotony a little bit of, of it. And, and as long as it's not overdone, you know, right. So that, that's right. pretty interesting. And it's, it's just using, it's, it's using a nonfiction device yeah. too, that we're mm-hmm. all familiar with. Um, Stephen King did that in Carrie a lot. He used newspaper articles. Right. Yeah. With the, the court documents he, and yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, and it adds some texture to it as well. So it's not just, prose the whole way through but it also lends some some realism to it as well uh-huh like i liked what you did that just a little bit in dark side with the, the newspaper article like at the beginning yeah. and stuff it's yeah. just a different way to tell the story that feels organic and feels like real like text message or newspaper article and stuff like that yeah it can be a cool way to get information across without that would seem maybe heavy-handed if you wrote it like yeah. dark side of the room is a good example the information that we get in that first news clipping then we 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 leave that behind and go into the story but you know it you know it's yeah. happening it's it's like an info dump but it's not and, and it doesn't feel like an info dump doing it like yeah that, yeah if that, if that makes sense yes and, and i think if you're going to do a story like that uh use a different formatting like like that whatever it may be text message emails you have to know when to end it so it doesn't go on mm-hmm. too long like for instance uh, eric laraca's uh big book this past summer it's mm-hmm. the pistolatory of just what instant messenger and emails and yeah. it's short so because he knew when to stop you know it, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's what 80 pages or something, something like that i mean yeah, i think, I think it would have like, yeah, 80 90 pages yeah if it would have went on and, on and on you know you probably would have got exhausted got with the way it was but like he knew when to end it you know so it didn't become overkill so i, I yeah, think that's, that's key too perfect if you're example gonna, yeah if you're if you're gonna mess around with formatting know when to end it properly so it's probably yeah, even shorter to... than that because of the way it's formatted makes right. it longer pages. So it's probably like maybe 60, 70 pages right. if it was actually yeah. like normal. Which is so wise because you, he he clearly understood the limitations of that experiment. Yeah. And mm-hmm. you have to know the limitations of it, that it can be exhausting. And there's only so much you can do with any experiment like that. Like no no yeah. one would want to read a book, an entire book written like that. Right, like a 300 I'm sure maybe somebody novel. would. Yeah. 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 But there, there's just so much information you couldn't get. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Your Chad Chad was kind enough. He he read um 
he read burn the plans and and offered a, a quote about it and yeah he after reading boo the story about the kid hunting for ghosts he he, he sent me a message and asked is what <laughs> i think going on going on <laughs> like i don't know what do you think's going on <laughs> and you're talking and, about and you he was right he was it right. was it was right <laughs> yeah what you experimenting with the short stories that's a perfect avenue to experiment with maybe things you're not as comfortable with like comedy and stuff because it's mm -hmm. not as a big a time of it time investment for you and same for the readers like you know not all short stories work for everybody so it's only yeah. you know 10 15 pages instead of sinking 200 300 pages you know right. all the hours into a bigger book it gives yeah. you time to explore on your side and then if it doesn't work for the reader they haven't lost that much time either as an investment just reading it yeah yeah, yeah. and writing all of these in workshop was it gave me the freedom to really try these things because of that that immediate feedback loop mm -hmm. is this experiment working rather than just doing an experiment and then putting it out into the world i was able to get that that feedback and there's a there's a story um in burn the plans technically it's um it's a novelette and it's it's in two parts it's called trigger and the first part is going to be published in a flame tree anthology that comes out actually this month. Oh my gosh. I totally forgot. It's called a uh, chilling. Wow. It's called chilling crime stories. Um, okay. The, the anthology is, wow. I need to look at the date on that. <laughs> it was out yeah. yesterday, Tyler. It, Come on now. Well, it, it, it publishes in, um, in the UK first, and then it comes okay. out in the U S in I think February. Uh, but so the first, so it's this two part story. And the first part is in that anthology. The complete story is going to be in burn the plans. And okay. it's a, it's written in first person from the perspective of, um, uh, like a 17 year old boy. And he's a country kid. He lives in the country, single dad. It's just him and his younger brother and his dad. And this character just like came just came fully to life and i heard his voice in my head and i knew how he spoke and to try and translate that into writing it was the experiment was don't sound like a writer uh -huh. sound like a person telling a story mm, and yeah. the way that people talk is messy they yeah. drop words and if you've got somebody who you know like uh, some country kid they're going to use terms and phrases that i don't use mm -hmm. And yeah. really leaning into that and telling the story from his perspective, I mean, this story just came to life in a way that, like, I look over it and have zero memory of writing it. None. <laughs> it it's, it sounds nothing like me. That nothing. sounds like that is. sounds awesome. Because because if you think about it, with it being in first person, I, mean, I think I think that's the key because then the whole thing is the language he uses and not a third person point of view where it changes throughout, you know what I mean? So it might be one paragraph of, of that language, but then the rest might be, you know, normal. And then he changes the language again. So yeah, that that's pretty inter interesting concept too. Yeah. Yeah. And thank you, Chad, for the kind words. Yeah. He was really supportive of that story. It seemed, and it's funny, I, after writing that, it seemed like when I sent the book to Chad, I thought I bet trigger is going to be the one he, <laughs> likes the most knowing chad's work um re so reading the book uh there's a book written by david mitchell called black swan green mm -hmm. which is um 
yeah, he's a pretty ex- I don't, experimental. I don't even know if I like that word. He's a just a really unique writer. But this book is written um, from the perspective of a of a teenage boy, and it's really quirky and unique. I think the the character could be described as probably on the autism spectrum, mm-hmm. and he leans so deeply into that voice that it feels authentic. And I don't think there's anything better. It's when somebody tries to like, I'm going to have a voice a little bit, but I'm also want you to know that I'm a writer. Yeah. And I, that's when it fails. It's when you're like, I don't care what you think of my writing. I want you to feel like this is a person telling you the story. Uh That's when it really comes alive. And I, so I, I, took tried to take a page from from david mitchell's uh book and just really like just throw out all the rules and just lean into the the voice of it and it was fun it was a blast yeah. to write and t- so much so that i'm like 90 percent sure that trigger will be the um the very first part of a novel okay nice I'm yeah. thinking of uh, uh, Stephen King's uh, Dolores Claiborne's similar to that, where it's perfect example. Yeah, just yeah. straight her, and, and then of course, I, I'm uh, I love that book. I'm pic- I'm picturing mm-hmm. Kathy Bates the whole time. <laughs> yeah, 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 right. So I don't know. If yeah, but that's a about. that's another great example. Is he yeah. never he never says like I, you never get the sense that his desire to be seen as a writer overtakes the voice of of dolores yeah and there's not there's even any all, chapters in that book. it's just one solid yeah. piece yeah there's no chapter yeah. works or anything yeah and i'm I'm not a writer myself but as an author do you feel like i feel like dialogue would be the hardest thing to do and make it feel authentic without making it feel like like you said it's the writer doing it instead of because the way people write and the way people talk is completely different yeah do you, for yeah. you do you think dialogue is hard to do or is it other things that are harder for you to, to nail down? Cause you can tell in a book when it feels like someone wrote it as compared to, it feels like these characters are actually having a conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man, you guys are, you've got good questions for a Friday. Night. <laughs> Cause you're talking about trigger. It feels to you. It feels and Chad feels like that character is actually, you know, the one speaking instead of, Oh, this is a book Tyler Jones wrote. If that makes, if I'm, if I'm making any sense at all. No, you're you're making total sense. Yeah, I do. I do think dialogue is hard. I but I think all of it. <laughs> I think all of it's hard. <laughs> but so he, when I approach dialogue, I I take the same approach that I did with Hazard. Mm-hmm. So we have this, uh, all these books and all these films that have told us what a drug dealer is. So mm-hmm. I would need to do something different than that. And I think dialogue is the same way, or I approach it the same way, is there are things we expect characters to say that we've heard versions of them, versions of those those statements or those conversations even, many, many times. Mm-hmm. So I do my best to try and think of, a, I, I pause on dialogue probably more than I pause on a lot of other things and think, okay, what is the best way to say this? Here's my instinct is to write this sentence or this this phrase because we know it. Uh-huh. Uh, so I think about it a little bit longer and usually go with my second or third choice. So hopefully it doesn't feel as familiar. But sometimes there's only you know a certain number of ways to say something. Right. Yeah. 
like, but when, I, I searched when, for the, the the unfamiliar. Like a complaint that's common with dialogue is like it'll be a kid character, but when they talk, they feel like they're much older. Like you hear that complaint a lot. Like this character is supposed to be thirteen, but they talk like they're thirty years old. Like they're way more mature. I think that's in their dialogue. Hard. I yeah. see that a lot, actually. I think that's that's probably gonna be pretty hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think. Yeah. I think. I think sometimes kid characters too get a little too harshly judged. Mm-hmm. Um, because they are yeah. a lot more, a lot smarter and more mature than a lot of. I guess if you're not a parent, you might not realize it. But having a kids, you're like, okay, this kid is a lot smarter than if you don't have a parent deal with kids, you might not realize that. Like, yeah, right. yeah, exactly. Like if I were to write down in dialogue, some of the things that my kids have said, mm-hmm. I don't think people would believe it. Like your kid yeah. did not use that word. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, did, I, I, yeah, <laughs> you don't have to believe it. It's just, it is. So I think, yeah, I think some of those characters get a little bit harshly judged and mm-hmm. I, I, the kids are smart, man. That, that so, word of there the are day mature paper kids. pays off. Right. right. I've, yeah. I've seen the opposite too. Like someone will be writing a 10 year old, but on paper, it feels like they're like really much like a three year old. Like it just doesn't match up to what their, their, I don't know, their smartness, their common sense would be. So you can kind of see it both ways. Like they either feel too old or they feel a lot younger than they should be. If that. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of an overcompensation. Uh-huh. I think, I think it's, I would prefer to err on the side of having a, a young character be too intelligent rather than yeah. not intelligent enough mm-hmm. because i think that if there's if you're writing it i would love for somebody who's 13 or 14 to read a story that i've written that has a young character and see themselves in it like, yeah that's a yeah. smart kid i'm a smart kid i the kid I can be smart be like that with, kid's with dumb the, <laughs> yeah, I mean, the kid can be smart with the, with the big vocabulary just say that the parents read to a, the kid in the womb, you know, just yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Played go, Mozart go with in that, the belly. Go with that angle, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. We but did all kid, that with char- kid characters are hard to do. I think it's hard, definitely hard to pull off. Yeah, and not to harp on, but I feel like Stephen King nails not necessarily young kids, but just teenagers in general. I feel like he does some of the best nailing kids. I don't know why. Because he's like eighty years old now, but he still nails those kid characters like to a T. At the time, I mean, yeah, I, he was he was probably reflecting on what he what he said and what he yeah. did during that time. So, yeah, yeah. And being a dad, I was talking to somebody the other day, uh, a friend of mine, about um, have you have you guys ever seen the movie Frailty? I think I have. Yes, yeah, it's with been Matthew a while. McConaughey and Bill Paxton. It yeah. was, um, I think, it was one of the only films that Bill Paxton directed. I think I believe it was the first one he directed, um, but there are there are two kid characters in there, and I was talking with a friend about how the movie, in my opinion, it only works because of the, the child actors. They are mm-hmm. so good in that movie, and I saw it when it first came out in the theater, and I've only seen it maybe once since. Uh, but I remember thinking that even at the time that. Even even with child actors, they they will overcompensate one way or the other often, and they can make or break a movie uh-huh. in which those characters are the center. And these kids just absolutely nail the they they feel real. They feel like real characters. And I always try That's- to remember that when when writing about kids, that 
how they're how they're presented can will make or break the story mm-hmm. that's like with the the it movies the new ones and the old one the kids the kid section at the beginning is always better than the adult section mm-hmm. like because yeah. the kids are so much more compelling and entertaining than they are as adults for, those, for that particular story yeah and right. believable yeah agreed how much does uh your area where you live figure into your writing do you you're in portland correct mm-hmm. do, do you usually try to work in uh your surroundings is are your books like what portland really is and how true was portlandia i love that show <laughs> i've never seen it you never, never watched seen it oh no okay sorry. i i've yeah <laughs> i was i wanted to know if they really filmed it there and everything but go go ahead back to I your think writing they did i <laughs> I think it was filmed here, but I, I don't. Yeah. I never, I'm just going to say it's dead accurate. It was exactly how it is. <laughs> it was kind of uh strange, but yeah, that's how it's going to work. This is nothing like it. <laughs> exactly. But as far as your writing, uh, uh, was criterion. I was taking a place in Portland, right? Or am mm-hmm. I, okay. I know dark, dark side does. Yeah. Yeah. So it's I mean, almost, you're, using, yeah. you're using what it's you know, basically in, in Oregon as well. Yeah, or it is okay. I didn't know if you had a, a version, like, like, a version of Oregon. Yeah, version of Oregon. Okay. Yeah, it it definitely factors in. It's hard not to. Um, it's it's such a unique city. It's, um, it's more menacing now than it has been in the past. It's it's been changing over the last few years and there's parts of it I don't really recognize anymore. It used to be a city that I love to go downtown and now mm. I don't even want to be there. Um, if you have the chance to read the novella along the shadow, it gives you a glimpse of Portland and, and downtown Portland and maybe some of my, my feelings about it. Um, but it, it's still, it's still a city I love and it still influences my writing in the sense that it's, the, the architecture, the streets, the, the the stores and the shops, the rain, my gosh, the rain, the gray. <laughs> it's just, it's kind of, a, it can be oppressive, like especially this time of year. It's just this permanently gray city with just constantly falling rain, constantly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it can, it can, yeah, it can be a little oppressive in that regard. And but it's definitely of, there. There's a lot in this one, the rain and the, the oppressive atmosphere outside and inside with, with her head and stuff. They, they played well with each other for that book. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you. So yeah, it, it, it's there, but it's not, um, yeah, it's not like in a, in a really significant way. Right. Mm-hmm. Do you like setting your books in Maine? Or not Maine, um, <laughs> in Portland. I do. I don't know why I'm saying Maine. <laughs> Tyler's got Portland. Stephen King's doing Maine. Stephen King's okay. got Maine. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why, where Maine came from, but. Uh, yeah. You know, I. When I. W- w- I'm not opposed to setting them anywhere. It's just mm-hmm. when, when the story arrives, visually, what I see are certain areas sometimes. Like I saw so clearly the neighborhood that criterium took place in and mm-hmm. same thing with um with the dark side of the room and it, it wasn't a conscious decision it was just this is where the story takes place yeah and so that's that's where i wrote it so i'm not yeah i'm not opposed to setting them elsewhere but i 
I, there's a lot in Oregon as well. There's we've got we've got the coast, we've got mountains, we've got rivers, lakes, cities, desert. Um, we've got some some of those beautiful desert. There is a Portland, Maine as well. Chad, see, yes, Chad's got my back. Chad, Chad <laughs> saved <laughs> Brad. Chad saved me. Chad saved Brad. Okay. <laughs> I, I remember reading Criterion. So, I, I remember a lot the, here. the whole the whole part Portland connection, but reading it like not saying it's just like Columbus. I'm in Columbus, so not saying it's just like mm-hmm. Columbus, but I got a feeling, you know, that that connection too with Criterion with the description of, of the of the uh the drug dealer's apartment and mm-hmm. the surroundings, the streets and all. Like I was picturing parts of Columbus like that too. So I mean those t- the two cities might be similar in that. Uh right now it's just gray nonstop here too. You <laughs> yeah, know, and, and yeah. uh, a lot of like today just nonstop rain and all. So yeah, I was curious about that because I, I that was one of the reasons you know Criterion Criterion connected with me too because the setting felt like I was home and I and I witnessed mm. I witnessed a lot of the those you know cruddy streets cruddy neighborhoods and and you know you have the, you knew which house was the drug dealer house you know and usually the window was open in the winter time and the curtain was flying out and you know stuff yeah. like that so it's making a connection well, that's there. cool yeah and I, I I love that you're able to see your own area in it. I, I like that. In fact, I realized when I wrote Along the Shadow, the bonus novella to The Dark Side of the Room, I it dawned on me that in both The Dark Side of the Room and Criterium, I I set them in Portland, but I'd never really mentioned Portland landmarks. Mm. And I'm not sure if that was conscious or not. I think maybe yeah. it was to allow someone to say, oh, this could be Columbus. But yeah. in Along the Shadow, I... I did purposely add some landmarks uh, in the story just just to just to make it clear where where I was. I think yeah. I needed to center myself on there's there's some events that happened that I needed I needed to know where in the city they were taking place and I couldn't really do that without mentioning some landmarks. So Jay, which you don't have in Columbus, Ohio. <laughs> you're in Columbus, Maine, right Jay? Is that where you're at? Columbus, Maine, is that what, is that what it is? <laughs> Maine, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like like I live in Kentucky and we don't ever have any books set here in Kentucky. So when there is one, I feel like I almost have a bias towards it. Like I like it even more just because it's yeah. set here. Like like I loved Todd Keesling's Devil's Creek. And I don't know if it's because I love the story or if it actually took place in Kentucky is what made me like it so much. So Isn't having it set where you, thing? it is like having we, it set where you're where you're at or your stories or you know, having it set wherever, there's just there's an extra layer of nostalgia's not right, but just feeling at home to a story yeah. set where well, you live i think that's why yeah. I, I like yeah. i loved um don ray Pollock's the devil all the time because i mean mm-hmm. most of it was southern ohio but uh, there were a few parts where they were in columbus and they named a few streets that are literally five minutes from where i am right now you know yeah. there, there's uh, they mentioned parsons avenue i'm like i go up and down that all the time like there's just i don't know what it is even in movies like you see something like oh i've been there or i live close to that there's just yeah. that connection with stories yeah. that makes it feel more real, I guess, maybe then yeah. you can have that yeah. personal connection with stuff like that. I've always wanted to see the staircase from the exorcist. Oh yeah. You know, the one I'm talking about. Yeah. Uh huh. I've always wanted to that? see that in person. Is that that's in Boston, right? Is that where it's at? Massachusetts. Somewhere? You know what? I, if you hadn't asked me that, I would have known. <laughs> I ruined it. Yeah. Chattel, no. Chattel I think, comment, I think you might right. Chad, where is the exorcist staircase? <laughs> We're asking it's people where, to chat now. Let's just <laughs> Yeah. 
There we go. We Where all can is probably she look from? it up. Is it Georgetown? Brennan probably knows. He's from. Oh yeah, yeah. Area. I think I think Brennan's right. I think it is Georgetown. Here, I'll just look it up. Where is <laughs> Brennan? Here, just case. told you. You're hey, saying look, you don't trust Brennan? I, I trust him, but that's actually I, I got. Where is the staircase? And one of the options is from The Exorcist. How cool is that? Maybe it is. It is DC, probably right? Because that's where the book takes. Prospect place. Street and Thirty Sixth Street. Doesn't say what. Georgetown. <laughs> there we go. Yeah, Georgetown. Georgetown. Okay. There you go. Yeah. There you go. Know, is yeah, is just, it a subcon? I, go ahead. No, I, I was just thinking of the, the pictures people take when they visit of them, you know, sprawled out on the stairs. <laughs> they fall down. I just want to have a picture of me like that. That's <laughs> that's that's your new author photo. Yeah, the funny thing is, yeah, funny right. Thing is, funny thing is, people walk by, they don't know if they're posing or if they really fell. They just keep going. <laughs> yeah, yeah. How many people have just been left there in agony? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're just taking a picture. Don't worry about it. Yeah. Yeah. Is it so, a subconscious thing for you to set your stuff in, in Portland, you think? Or you just that's just what you've done so far necessarily? I I think it's subconscious. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't think it's it's purposeful. It has to take place somewhere. Yeah. I'm not uh, even right, I, Brandon, I, I didn't know you were the I didn't know Brandon was the <laughs> uh the expert at exorcist. Brandon will never come on the show now, Jay, because of Sorry. you. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> uh I'm not. I'm not even opposed to not saying where things take place as well. I, as a reader, I don't need to know. Mm-hmm. There's again, like we were talking about the negative space. I think sometimes, uh, not knowing allows me to put it wherever I want, because if it is somewhere specific, then I'm using a lot of. I'm trying to to picture something that I think exists. Uh-huh. Not that it's bad. I, it's just, it's just preference. I've just noticed that if I'm reading a book and it's very specific where it takes place, I'm putting a lot of lot of time into trying to imagine this real place, and then mm-hmm. get some anxiety about it. Well, what if I'm imagining it wrong? And then I want to look it up, but I've already conjured up an image of it. If I look up what these city streets look like, it's going to destroy what <laughs> I think. And it, ah. <laughs> But I, I, I mean, most books mention specific places, but I just, all that to say, I, I like the negative space uh-huh. a lot. So yes, in my head, they take place in Portland, but I'd love for anyone to be able to think that it took place in their town or city. So there you go, Brad. In Columbus, say <laughs> You could say it, it takes place in Kentucky, Brad, just to make you happy because you don't have any. <laughs> yeah, it does. Yeah. <laughs> So, place where, in Louisville. Town? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So as we start winding down a little bit, so we don't keep you the whole Friday night since Brad was late. Um, some it's of your biggest, fault, Jay. yeah. <laughs> some of your biggest influences. Chuck Palahniuk, obviously, Jay. Yeah, number one, probably. Yeah, Chuck. Chuck's been a been a huge influence. Um, oh gosh, uh, I could go. I could go down a list. Um, Don DeLuo, Paul Oster. David Mitchell, um, Joe Lansdale, Stephen Graham Jones, Josh Mallerman is a big one. Shirley Jackson. I could go on and on. I've, have, I've have you ever been? Um, have you ever Ray been Bradbury. told by any other writers that you have influenced them? 
you can go ahead and say yes if you, even if you haven't. Just I didn't mean to put you in the spot, but I was just wondering if. Uh, damn, he's, he's never no. going to come back now, is he, Brad? I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, You're giving it's, him it's all these hard totally... questions, Jay. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a valid question, man. Uh, no, not not that I'm aware of. No, and I, I'm fine with that. I <laughs> the fact that. Maybe that came out wrong. I didn't mean it like. <laughs> no, 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 no. I no. I, I I think I get the question. You know, I like with the with the burn the plans cover reveal today. Um, you know, I had some quotes from some from some writers that I really admire, like John F. D. Taft and Haley Piper and and Chad Lutsky. Mm -hmm. uh, it really means a lot to me that that a writer I respect would read my work and then have something nice to say about right. it. Right. So that to me is. I, that was Daniel I was going for. I meant, I just, <laughs> yeah. I didn't mean. I didn't mean you influence. You, you got it. You got it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that 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 means that means a ton. Yeah, I think, like in the world of music, it's the same way. You know, if if um, I remember playing live shows and we would tour with bands, and of course you want the crowd to be in into it. But here's the thing: a crowd arrives at a show wanting to get into it. Yeah, they've mm -hmm. paid. They paid money for the ticket. Maybe they know you. Maybe they don't. Maybe they're there for a headliner and you're the opener. Whatever the right. situation, the crowd is like primed. There's that electricity in the room and they want to be moved. So you can win them over. But what always meant the most to me is when another band, like say the headliner, if we were an opener, would go to the back of the crowd or on the side and watch our show and they'd be moving along with it. Yeah. And yeah, they'd be I've, digging I've what we were like doing. That. Yeah. Yeah. When you see the, the other musicians are into it, yeah. that's when you're like, okay, okay. Now we're like the crowd. I'm so glad they're, they're into this, but the musicians are into it too. That's, right. mm -hmm. that's cool. So it means I'm, a lot to me, like on that level when, yeah. when writers when your peers like, are into it. Yeah. Like Brennan LaFaro, you know, <laughs> gave me a blurb for, for almost Ruth, Russ, Jeffrey, Aaron, Eric LaRocca, uh, it's just like all those people, Laurel Hightower read Criterium, Max mm -hmm. Booth for, for Dark Side of the Room. Like the fact that any of these people would even be willing to read it and then having some nice things to say means a lot. Philip Ficasi, Jeremy Robert Johnson, you know, all those guys. Right. Yeah. Do you so, reach out to authors for blurbs? Is that like a an awkward thing if you do that? Because I know some other authors is like, oh, it's kind of awkward to ask other people to write or take their time to read it and send me back blurbs and yeah is that a... it's not it's not awkward because i i generally offer them money when i do it <laughs> i'm kidding i'm kidding, I'm kidding. <laughs> jay he, didn't he look sure it, there for a second he's sending out <laughs> I, was, I was like yeah. shoot that's why it didn't work okay <laughs> yeah <clears throat> uh it it was at first yeah but mm. but now uh yeah sometimes the answer is no and it doesn't bother me at all. Like I'm just not, I'm not that fragile and I'm not easily offended. And I get it because I, I've had to, like, I've had to turn down requests and I've, yeah. I feel terrible every time, but sometimes there's just too much going on and I really feel terrible. And I hope that when I do that, that the person doesn't feel like I'm being a jerk, you know, and I, and I try to, when I can, sometimes it's just the, the timing is off. You know, right. yeah. you really want to read it because you don't want like just a fake blurb, right? I mean, you really do want to read it and get like a really emotional or legit yeah. blurb. So, because like yeah. like Chad says every time, like he'll offer to read it, but he won't give a blurb unless he actually really likes it. Yeah, yeah, 
Yeah, which is the I think the right way to do it. There was some writer, man, I can't remember who his name now. I'll have to look this up later, but he the the story goes that he was approached so often for for blurbs that he started telling writers and this was some guy like major published who said mm -hmm. just write whatever it is you want me to say and just put my latest book you know <laughs> author of my latest book so that it's it's promotion yeah you know, like people would do it <laughs> so and so said this is a work of genius <laughs> not saying that stephen king does this but he has so many blurbs it's like where does he find the time to read all this stuff and pump out two 500 page books every year. And I've, I feel like every other week that's, that's he has a blurb on a book. <laughs> yeah. Because he's if you look at like efficient with his time, yeah, if you look at like Bentley little, he's used the same Stephen King for <laughs> 20 years now. So I mean, I would too. So Stephen King loved that particular book. <laughs> yeah. True. Yeah. If you get a good blurb, you can just use it over and over again. Reuse it over and over again. All right, right. Tyler, and we're... Brennan's right. The worst that happens is someone someone says no. Yeah. yeah. Most just, just most like our show. Is... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't think they, anyone they... said no yet. Crossed our fingers. I think we. I think we expect a no, and Every then we're time. like, when they say yes, we're like. <laughs> so... Well, yeah. The worst that someone says is no. They don't. They don't often follow up no with a bunch of insults on top of it. <laughs> It's just no, it, it can't do it, huh? Wait, they're okay. not supposed to. I gotta talk to somebody. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Whoops. <laughs> All right, Tyler, where, where can everyone find you as we start wrapping things up here? You got uh you're on the that Twitter machine, Instagram, all that stuff. You have a website. Yeah, too, right? yeah. Yeah. Websites uh uh Tylerjones.net, Twitter, Instagram at T Jones Writer. Um and that's it. That's that's all. Is I your got. website updated? Because it says coming Christmas of 2014. Oh, Jay, I'm sorry, wrong one. Jay does <laughs> it every time. No, does he? I change the year. A... I change the year every now and then. I think you caught Megan Lucas off guard. Like you really freaked her out that her website was out of date. Yeah, under construction. No good. <laughs> and there's your answer why people are saying no. <laughs> but it's funny you ask because no, mine is not up to date. I. I <laughs> I was so um, so busy trying to get the the four last four books out um, that I haven't, and then with burn the plan stuff that I haven't even uh, updated to include the newest books on my website. I've noticed that I should do I, that. I think uh, writers sometimes focus more with you know Twitter and Instagram because I think that they probably get more foot traffic. It seems like this day and age with technology. I mean, internet uh, websites are secondary now you know yeah because you because you have youtube and twitter and other promotional ways to get your, your stuff out where it's like you have a website yeah what year is this 2012 you know and it's <laughs> yeah more that's a good on... point yeah so i'm kind of old school in that way i i still prefer websites because i mm -hmm. i like if you want to find out what someone has written like twitter's the worst place to find that out because yeah. you get like this whole thread of opinions and mm -hmm. jokes and other people's works, which is great. But I, I like that one stop shopping where I can click on, okay, books. Here's what you've written. Yeah. Got it. It's just yeah. for my brain, it's clear. For you being mostly, you know, self pub, do you find it hard to promote yourself in sort of the big sea of everyone promoting themselves as well? Trying to get seen, yeah. I get sort of. 
It is. It is. It's. Yeah, it is. And I, I don't know. I don't know the right way to do it. I, I, I'm not real clever with it. Yeah. And there's that always that fear of you don't want to be annoying. But then on the other hand, it's like, well, I, I understand I books. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Check them out. I hope people read Yeah, them. There's supposed to be some sort of etiquette on Twitter, but you don't know what it is until you cross it. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. That's, that's another good point. And to me, it's like the whole point that I even got there in the first place was to, to let people know there were books. About. The books are all that matter to me. Like I'm not, I'm not very good with social media. I don't think I, I'm just not, um, maybe because I, I, it's not something I'm particularly drawn to, but mm-hmm. yeah, that's, that's a hard one. And if you, if you <laughs> see someone else do something that appears to work for them and then you try and replicate it, it's it might not work as well you know yeah there are certain people that really do seem to have a knack for it and i i respect that enormously Mm -hmm. yeah it's a double-edged sword of there's all this toxic stuff on there but you also want to get the word out about what you've got what you've got going on there's that there's that fine double-edged sword there that walk in that line of don't want to deal with all this stuff but on the same side i want to tell people about the books i've got going on yeah, yeah, definitely. And that's that's pretty much all I'm going to do. Like if you go to my Twitter, you're not going to really find my thoughts on anything. Yeah. It's all other people's books, friends' books, and books I'm excited about and my books. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty much it. That's all you're going to see. So if that's <laughs> if that's interesting, <laughs> if you like books, I was going to say it, it, it works. So so you have Twitter, Instagram, and he's got a website. Uh, Tyler, we appreciate you stopping by. Of course, this has been a pleasure for us. Hopefully, somewhat of a pleasure for you. <laughs> it has. It has. Uh, Thank you. It's, it's been fun for everyone in the chat. Thanks so much for stopping by. Thanks for the questions. Uh, and that's going to do it. This episode number nineteen, Brad. We haven't broken up yet. We haven't broken up yet. No, it's next week, though. We're breaking up next week, live on air. <laughs> it, it, it can happen. Tune in. <laughs> episode 20 is the end (laughs) exactly that was the plan so thanks to our special guest tyler jones uh and please pick up some of his work almost ruth maybe in my dark side of the books of the of the year we'll find out soon for uh my late partner over there brad proctor it's not my fault my name is jay (laughs) till next time see you guys stay safe you guys love you jay thanks everyone